Welcome to Brennan Baptist, Sunday the 28th, sermon slot, it's going to be fun. And in case you're wondering, I think you might be, yes, I know what you're thinking, I only did it. I've gone ginger. So, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I'm going to talk for perhaps 5-10 minutes maximum, uh, but as I'm talking today, I just encourage you to share any thoughts that are coming into your brain as I'm talking on the feedback function uh, at church so that we can see what you're thinking, listen to any suggestions you have and trust that the Holy Spirit will work through you as much as it is going to work through me. So sit back, relax and when you have a thought, it may be the Holy Spirit, feel free to share it, tap it into the text function on your laptop and share it with the community and we'll see if God speaks to us through that method today. So a lot of what I'm going to be doing today is asking questions as much as possible. It's a passage from Mark 9. Uh, I'm going to break it into three passages. I'll just give a few thoughts on each passage. Then I'll ask some questions very slowly. As I am asking those questions, I encourage you to feedback. But you can feedback at any stage throughout the talk today. It says that the disciples did not understand Jesus. It happens quite a lot. Mark 6, Mark 8, Mark 9, Luke 18, John 12, John 20, Matthew 15, to name a few. It also says their hearts were hardened, including after the, the miracle of the 5,000, when he, Jesus fed the 5,000. The disciples were with Jesus. They actually heard him speak. They were physically with him. And yet they didn't understand a lot of the time. Is there anything that you don't understand? Or is there any areas that I don't understand of Jesus' words? Are there areas of my heart that are hardened to what he's saying or he wants to say to me? That's the first point. Come today with a soft heart, with an open mind. Uh, there was a famous theologian who uh, taught at a theological college and one of his best students, he was having a conversation with one day and he said to him, uh, mate, you're doing really well. Let me tell you this, probably 80% of your theology is correct and 20% is wrong. The trouble is, you don't know which 20% is wrong. This from one of the top theologians. If you think all your theology is right, Maybe you need to think about the verse where it says that when you believe you can see, then your blindness remains in John's Gospel. So we come today humbly trying to understand Jesus' words even better, or afresh, or anew, or again. That's the first point. The second point is just say uh, there is loads in Christian narrative about at the moment that I fully, fully endorse and support around grace, around being loved, being comforted around Jesus, raising your self-esteem, and I agree with all of that. And also, when Jesus meets people in the Gospels, so often he leaves them with a thought to wrestle with, an action to go away with, a command that really they struggle with. And so when people meet with Jesus, yes, they feel comforted, but yes, they so often feel challenged. Think of Nicodemus. Think of the rich ruler. Jesus loved him but gave him a really difficult command. 
Think even of Mary after the resurrection. She was upset, she was comforted by Jesus. And then Jesus turns her around and leaves her with a command. Go and be an apostle to the apostles. Go and carry the responsibility of my good news. And so today, we're going to read some words of Jesus. They're not easy words. Uh, he's probably going to make us feel uncomfortable. He almost certainly made the people feel uncomfortable at the time. It's a challenge for us to submit with humility. A, do we understand what you're saying? B, are we prepared to be told about what to do by you, Jesus? So in these readings, Jesus addresses three areas of the disciples' hearts. They are powerful instincts in all humans' hearts. They certainly are instincts in my heart, and I can recognise them. Um, they may also be areas for your heart as well. The areas are one, power, two, tribalism, and three, purity. Let's hear the first reading. Mark 9, 30-37 Then Jesus and his followers left that place and went through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where he was because he wanted to teach his followers alone. He said to them, The Son of Man will be given to men who will kill him. After three days he will rise from the death. But followers did not understand what Jesus meant. They were afraid to ask Jesus, and his followers went to Capernaum and went to at, went into a house there. Then Jesus said to them, What were you arguing about on the road? But the followers did not answer, because the argument on the road was about which one of them was the greatest. Jesus sat down and called the twelve apostles to him. He said, If anyone wants to be the most important, then he must be the last of all and servant of all. Then Jesus took a small child and had him stand among them. He took the child in his arms and said, If anyone accepts children like these in my name, then he is also accepting me. And if he accepts me, then he is also accepting the one who sent me. Great reading. I don't know that, actually, I haven't heard it, but I'm guessing it was good. I'm back. Still me. Have you ever considered the delegation skills of Jesus? What do I mean by delegation? His ability to hand over responsibility for something to people. Consider the words of Jesus. I confer on you a kingdom. I give you an entire kingdom, you bunch of muppets. Disciples that so often get things wrong and have hard hearts. I'm still willing to trust you with the most incredible kingdom that will change the entire world. Wow. I would really struggle to do that. But it reflects God's heart. One of the first commandments God ever said was, I give you, Adam and Eve, dominion over the entire earth. Wow. It was a pretty decent creation. He trusted it to us humans to look after. That's incredible delegation. He had to let go of control. He had to let go of control knowing we'd make a complete mess of it and lead to wars and, you know, destruction and climate change and all that. He still trusted us with it. That's incredible. 
He didn't control us. He doesn't control us. This passage here goes to the heart of something we probably want. The desire to be the boss. The desire for power. To be the best. To dominate. To lord. To control. And Jesus challenges that attitude within us. And so I think that's what Jesus was getting at in that first section. What I'm going to do now is very slowly read some questions. Sit back, relax, listen to these questions. And as I read them, trust that God will speak to you. And if you feel like it, you feel like there's a message or something or a word or something you want to share with the church, tap it in to your screen. So here are the questions. Jesus noticed that they were arguing. He noticed that they argued over power. And he said to them, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. Take a moment of silence. Ask God to illuminate areas of your heart where you, in an unhealthy way, want power. Ask him, as I'm speaking, just as we're going along, ask him to show you how to be a servant of all. If there are areas that are popping up in your head now, write them down, feel free to share them on screen. Confess areas of your heart life where you have an unhealthy ambition for power. Not all ambition is unhealthy. Where is your unhealthy ambition for power? And where might God be calling you to serve? Feel free to write any thoughts you have down on a piece of paper or onto the screen. Now I'm going to stop there. We're going to hear the second reading. Mark 9, 38-41 Then John said, Teacher, we saw man using your name to force demons out of a person. We told him to stop because he does not belong in our group. Jesus said, Don't stop him. Anyone who uses my name do powerful things to, say, to not will not say evil things about me. He who is not against us is with us. I tell you the truth. If anyone helps you by giving you a drink of water because you belong to the Christ, then you will truly get rewarded. I'm back. I hope, hope the second reading was good. I have no idea. 
Reading number two, section number two. This is, if you like, God's war on our heart. Jesus' war on our heart. The first one was about our desire for power. The second one is about tribalism. What's the difference between tribe and community? What is the difference between tribe and community? I suggest God calls us into a worldwide community. He calls us away from tribalism. What is tribalism? Well, there are lots of definitions, but I am a fan of Manchester United. I love being part of the tribe of Manchester United and, if Neil Baird's listening, England rugby. What that does is that part of my identity as an England rugby fan or a Manchester United fan is that I love to dislike Liverpool fans and I love to dislike Welsh fans. That creates part of my identity. My identity is formed by who I am not as much as who I am. That's tribalism. We bind in a common enemy. Community with, common meaning with unity, with unity, overrides that. The Christian communion is one body. Jesus prays for unity. His final prayer is a prayer for unity, John 17. In every single letter that Paul writes, he talks about, discusses unity. Often he prays for unity. Unity over division. In this passage, what causes the disciples to have an instinctive reaction to the other church? That's what it was. There was another church doing some stuff. The disciples didn't like it. They had an instinctive reaction against it or against that church. There may be many reasons. One of them was probably that they felt threatened by that church. Am I, are you, threatened by others' successes? Do you take joy in others' failures? In particular, do you feel threatened? Are you against other churches when they are successful? Or even other ministries within our own church which are successful? If you're really honest, the answer is probably yes. Somewhere, I suspect. If I'm honest, the answer is yes. And what does this look like? This verse, this, this love of the whole church across the world what does this look like post-COVID-19? Where nothing stops me dialing into a church in South Africa, dialing into a church in Australia, or even, perhaps more threatening, dialing into a church in North Breton. Should we feel threatened by that? As I'm talking, feel free, any thoughts you have, write them down. Share them with the church, text them on screen. I'm going to very slowly ask some questions now. And feel free to think about them, pray about them, trust any thoughts upon your head, maybe from the Holy Spirit, and feel free to share them. So here are the questions. Where might there be division within Breton Baptist Church? What about in your own heart? 
And what do you think causes those? And then what causes that? Go really deep into your own heart. How can you, how can Ed Walker, how can you personally build greater unity within Breton Baptist Church? Any suggestions? Feel free to write them, put them in. There's something about expressing something to someone that holds you accountable. It means you are more likely to do it if you write it down. If you share it with someone else, you're even more likely to do it. That's the question. That's the first set of questions. How can you build greater unity in Breton Baptist? Where do you feel threatened by other churches' success? That might come out by dissing them. I don't like the way they worship. Not sure that theology is right. Slightly dodgy. Pastor, whatever it may be. How can Breton Baptists reach to other churches and support them and bless them in this time? How should church, how should our church look different in the post-Covid digital age? Any suggestions? They might be from God, they might not. But we're, we've had all these questions past Pastor Brian. We're, we are, the whole church is here to listen to your thoughts. And the final question. What about church should really remain for the future? What is it that's essential of church? That we mustn't lose in this shaking. If you have any thoughts around any of that, let someone know. Type it into the computer, write it down, think about it, pray about it. Let Pastor Brian know, let someone else know. We're now going to go on to our third and final reading. Mark 9, 42 to 50. If one of the, these little children believes in me and someone causes the child to sin, then it will be very bad for him. It would be better for him to have a very to have a large stone tied around his neck and be drowned in the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to lose part of your body, but have life forever. That is much better than to have two hands and go to hell. In that place, the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to lose part of your body, but have life forever. That is much better than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eyes cause you to sin, take it out. It is better for you to only have one eye, but have life forever. That is much better than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. In hell, the worm does not die. The fire never stopped. Every person will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its salty taste, then you cannot make it salty again. So be full of goodness and have peace with each other. Welcome back. Great reading, wasn't it? Fantastic, well done. So, I don't know that, I just made that up. So, next next point here. The first thing, Jesus did war on our, our, our heart over our desire for power or control. Second thing, he does war on our heart over tribalism and he wants a sense of unity within us. And the third thing, Jesus enters into that part of our heart where we are lured 
to sin. This is a call to holiness. There's loads of talk in the church about grace and forgiveness and I endorse all of that. But Jesus came full of grace and truth and he calls us to righteousness through his truth as well. And if all we do is talk about forgiveness and grace, then we cheapen grace. Uh, and uh, the, the role of a disciple, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to be constantly called into greater depth of honesty, greater depth of holiness, um, greater depths of purity. A sacrificial dedication and a desire for righteousness. Why? Not because Jesus is some Puritan, some killjoy. No, because we will find a fuller life there. He wants us to have life to the full. In Matthew 6, he ends the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Sermon on the Mount, with these words. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. Wow, be perfect as your Father is perfect. That feels really hard. Um... How can I ever attain that or achieve that? Well, part of that is, yes, us being more perfect. I get that, that we'll never achieve that. Part of it can be translated this way. Um, come to wholeness. When you fulfill my commands, you will achieve a shalom. You will achieve... Uh, the realisation of your created humanity. You will grow in who God wants you to be. You will be more fully yourself, more fully alive, more fully perfect, just as God is more fully perfect. I found that a very helpful translation because it's about not Jesus whipping me with a stick telling me to do better, but Jesus calling me to a life of joy and fullness and humanity and selflessness and prayer that's attractive. That's what I want. This question and the, the words in this passage span many areas of our life. I'm just going to focus on two. But it may be God speaking to you about another area right now. It's coming to your mind. That's fine. The questions will still apply to those areas. The first one is sexual impurity. A modern translation of these verses might be this. If your phone causes you to sin, throw it in the bin. Put it in there. If this phone is where you sin, throw it away. That's what Jesus is saying. It's that important. Where is it you struggle with sexual impurity? Throw it in the bin. That's the first area. The second one is this. Where in your heart do you confess to racism or prejudice or sexism? Where in your heart do you confess to racism, prejudice or sexism? I'm now going to ask some questions very slowly and again as before as I'm doing that feel free to write down on a bit of paper think about these 
and even if you want to share online so the church can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through you. So question number one, both Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu admitted to finding racism lurking in some dark recesses of their heart. Can you be brave enough to confess where you have met it in yours? That's the starting point of fighting racism, acknowledging it in our own heart. In the market square, what do I mean by market square? Anywhere outside of church, in your family, where you have influence, in your place of work, where you spend time in a sports club or wherever you spend time interacting with anyone else, where have you met racism? And what can you do about it? It takes courage. You may not have an influence like uh, Michelle Obama. You may just have an influence over your own family. Where is God calling you to fight racism? Or sexism? Or prejudice? Is there institutional racism in the church? Any positive suggestions on how we can address those? Maybe Brenton Baptist, but maybe the church broadly. Any prejudice or any sexism is unhealthy. And finally, take a minute to consider areas of sexual sin or any other type of sin. And this is the final thing. If God's laid something on your mind or on your heart, be brave enough to share it with one person this week. Ideally, by the end of the day, your resolve will crumble unless it's the, the longer you leave it. Equally, it, by sharing it, by confessing your sins to a brother or a sister, your ability to overcome that sin will be enhanced greatly. That's true from a psychological perspective and a spiritual one.